Welcome to Hypergen Sales Leaders Podcast, the show that equips you with the cutting edge strategies, wisdom, and inspiration to become a top-notch sales leader in today's ever-evolving business landscape. I'm your host, John Mansour, and each episode will bring you in-depth conversations with sales trailblazers, industry experts, and thought leaders who have mastered the art of leadership and revenue generation. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting your journey, join us as we unlock the secrets to sales success. Let's dive in. Welcome back to Hypergen Sales Leaders Podcast. Joining me today from New York City is Krishna Nadella, who's VP of Americas and Business Development at SigTech. And SigTech, if you're not familiar, they're a generative AI firm that focuses on portfolio construction and research and backtesting for the financial community at large. Uh, Krishna, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I think a good place to start would be just uh, if you could give us some background on on a little bit about your career, what you do at SigTech, how you found yourself uh, in that role. We'd love to hear. Yeah, no, I've been at SigTech now about six months. I head up our commercial organization. That includes everything from new business and sales to account management, partnerships, strategic alliances, and even our corporate development as well. So everything that's client-facing, investor-facing that circles around generating revenue for the firm. At the same time, I do sit on the management committee and the executive committee, really looking at the overall direction and the health of the firm as a whole. And so really, I wouldn't be in this position right now, if not for the previous experiences in my career, which before SigTech, I spent three years at Symphony Communications, the chat platform for financial services, working directly for the CEO, Brad Levy. I wore multiple hats there, including corporate development, regulatory affairs, market strategy, and partnerships as well. So really got to learn and get out of my comfort zone, get thrown into the deep end, as they say, during a time where people were seeing many of the large institutional firms on the sell side getting fined for incorrectly using uh, apps like WhatsApp to communicate and being right in the heart of what is a very exciting time in the world of connecting and communicating with the COVID pandemic as well. So really enjoyed a lot and learned from that experience. Prior to Symphony, I was at Bloomberg for 12, for 10 years, um, but not on the terminal side. I actually was part of a fledgling data license business that was riding that wave of big data of the 2010s, where you saw the rise of the data scientists, the rise of the chief data officer. And so I uh, architected five different teams that brought products to market in the data space. And so when I started at Bloomberg, it was about a sub $50 million pass-through business. When I left, it was about a $1.75 billion business. So really got a chance to see a business grow organically, but with the uh, protective oversight of the larger institution. Um, but our business, I'm proud to say, was the second largest and fastest growing in the entire company. And before that, I spent the 2000s working in sales and trading at Citigroup, their investment bank specifically syndicating and structuring collateralized loan and collateralized debt obligations. Unfortunately, that all came to a head in 2008 because they were backed by subprime loans. And in doing so, saw basically the rise and fall of an asset class or any sort of area that really drove a lot of the market and unfortunately then drove it into the ground as well. But a little bit of FinServe, a little bit of FinTech, a little bit of startup life really took me to this point in my career at SigTech and I couldn't be more excited. 
Yeah, that's amazing. I appreciate the the overview there. And yeah, curious too, why sales? Uh, is that something that uh, you had in mind for the beginning? Was there an element of serendipity or I guess what happened there? <laughs> probably, probably more of the latter. I'm a biochemist in my previous life. So clearly I, I can't <laughs> say that was a top of mind. But what I came to realize is the oldest profession is sales in, in, in the most literal sense. We're always selling something, whether it be a product, a service or ourselves. And I came to realize that I had a gift of gab. I enjoyed the spoken word. I enjoyed speaking with others and engaging and understanding where opportunity could present itself. And I guess that was probably the impetus for me realizing I could probably be pretty good at sales. I have an ability to listen and understand what the client's needs are. I can provide a bridge to the products that we're selling. And then most importantly, being very revenue generating and target-minded, that plays well into the salesperson that typically goes from year to year trying to hit target, but having the versatility to sell multiple products so they're not a one-trick pony. So I fell into the industry that way, but I have no regrets in hindsight. I'm glad that I was able to find my way here. Yeah. And speaking of which, obviously would love to hear specific strategies that you found to be the most effective for generating leads, new leads and closing deals in your field. And just generally speaking, what you find works best. Yeah. So as a former scientist, former biochemist, uh, I'm very data-driven and I always like to be data-driven because that will help me make better decisions. Uh, for those that are fans of Michael Lewis's Moneyball, statistics, sabermetrics, uh, analytics uh, that we're seeing permeate through sports, well, that actually has a very relevant place in sales. The more you can get down to individual details, whether it be sales stage, expected close date, probability of sale, dollar amount, you can then start to do better from a forecasting standpoint and work backwards from your target. So for myself, for my teams, the teams I've historically managed, or even the ones I do today, we try to get very data-driven. And so that way, when you do have that moment halfway through the year, are you going to hit target or not? You can actually have an educated guess to whether or not that's actually going to happen. And you can modulate as to whether or not you need to work harder, you need to make more calls, you need to do more outreach, or you can actually say, hey, I'm in a good spot here. I can maybe even allocate some time to some new ventures that won't necessarily be revenue generating this year itself. And so having data goes a long way in terms of being able to understand your year before you even get started. It's like Sun Tzu says in The Art of War. Every battle is won before it is fought. I think data just helps us get there very easily. But at the same time, it's about having tools. It's about having mechanisms and structure and order and process in place. And so for myself, for better or for worse, the way I've always run my sales teams is to have some sense of a cadence, whether it be a monthly pipeline call, whether it be working off of a Salesforce or any other CRM where that is the one source of truth. If it's not in Salesforce, it doesn't exist, we always like to say. And then being able to then work with your sales folks, basing off that same information. So you're reading from the same playbook. And then the part that we don't really talk about enough is having the creativity, the imagination. Look, we'd all love to sell on value. Selling on value allows us to have a lot more pricing control. But sometimes, especially when you're going to new areas or new offerings, you are the new kid on the block. You do need to understand the client's perspective, and maybe they're not ready to take a chance on you. So you have to incentivize them as well. So having those tools and capabilities and mechanisms available goes a long way in terms of generating momentum, generating sales, and then eventually generating a, a pipeline. And for us here at SigTech, same at Symphony, same at Bloomberg, it's about having everyone empowered and arsenaled with the appropriate data, the appropriate tools to be able to be as successful as possible. As a sales manager, your responsibility is to set your salespeople up to succeed. And 
if you can't do that, then it really does fall on you. It's not on them. Yeah, no, it's an excellent point. And as you were saying that, I would love to get some insight into how you stay up to date and how you keep your entire team up to date on industry trends, changes, how you incorporate that knowledge into real-time adaptation of your sales strategy. And additionally, if there's specific tools, maybe AI related or specific processes that tend to work best, would love to glean that insight as well. Yeah, we are in such an exciting time, probably the best of times right now from an education and engagement standpoint. There are so many ways to access information, whether it be the internet, whether it be from magazines, whether it be from weekly publications. It is not difficult to be engaged with what's going on in the market, whether it be you want to have long form script or short headlines that are created because most people TLDR, for those that don't know what that stands for, too long, don't read. At the end of the day, it's entirely on the individual. And I think that's what's really empowering. In the past, those who had information and those who didn't, that was a huge differentiator. But if we all have access to information now, at least to be able to stay on top of what's going on in the market, that allows us to then say, it's on us. I have the ability to be engaged. I have the ability to be informed. I have the ability to be able to make inferences off of this information and go into a client meeting or go into a, uh, a large-scale discussion and come in with well-informed thoughts and ideas of what the market's doing, what our product is doing in light of the market environment, and how it can help our customers. You can read. You can listen. You can engage. At the end of the day, put yourself in a position to not only be the recipient of information, but you can also even in some cases come out as an expert on that information as well. I'll just take a little second to allude to a topic we'll probably spend a little bit more time talking about, but generative AI. It is the topic du jour right now. And for our firm as a generative AI company, it is one that we spend a lot of time every day immersed in. But it's not like we have experts across the fintech industry who are already established and known authorities. Everyone has a chance. I use the jump ball analogy. He or she who reads more is going to be more of an authority. And that allows you to have a more educated opinion. That allows you to have a more articulate discussion. And then people might start to gravitate towards you. I found myself many times in front of clients where they've actually come to me and asked me my thoughts on certain topics or certain issues because I spend every day working on them. And in doing so, that allows me to be in a, put in a position of trust by the co customer, but at the same time, have the ability to have some clout, some brand uh, value that I bring to that meeting versus just trying to sell them something. And so having that ability to read, to get engaged, to stay informed and do it in the manner that works for you, at the end of the day, it's ultimately on you and that's the best position to be in. Absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate the insights there. Are, have you found, maybe this lends better to, to another question I was thinking of as well. When it comes to expanding, growing a sales team, obviously a lot of the folks who listen to this podcast are sales leaders, such as yourselves, CEOs, founders of, of, of various startup companies. What are some key attributes you look for in, in sales reps and how do you keep morale high during the highs, the peaks and the valleys? Absolutely. So the first thing I always say is as a salesperson, you have value. You are a asset to your firm. You are the face of your firm and you are a revenue generator for your firm. So know that going into your job every day is that you are representing your firm in the best of ways. And there are people within that firm who may not be in a revenue generating role, 
who are counting on you, who are depending on you, who are rallying around you because you are the one that's going to take them to the promised land. And that's a great feeling. And I hope every one of your listeners thinks that way and they embrace that because that is what sales is all about. With that said, you have to be incredibly selfish. And let me explain. Every person in sales should look at their time as billable hours. Lawyers do this. Doctors do this. Your time is valuable. You can spend it in a hundred different ways, but you want to spend your time where you're working smart, not just working hard because the same amount of time, same amount of energy will be used, but the results can vary vastly depending on what you're spending your time on. So as a salesperson, ask yourself, is the efforts and engagement that I'm working on going to lead to revenue? No? Okay, then why not? It will indirectly lead to revenue. No? then maybe I need to reevaluate if this is the best use of my time or if I need to delegate this to someone else. Being selfish as a salesperson shows that you're focusing on the more important aspects of your job, which is to raise revenue. You're also raising the awareness. You're also raising the brand, but nothing gets done if revenue is not coming in and you're spending money uh, on costs that are going out. What I also mean by being selfish is you're actually doing the company a service because you're saying my time is spent continuously finding ways to make this company more revenue and to grow financially. So if I cannot spend time on something, or if you want me to spend time on something, I need to understand why am I being asked to pivot away from an opportunity or an engagement that can bring in real dollars to work on something where I can't see those dollars immediately. And so you have a better dialogue with your manager. You have a better dialogue with your executive team because now they realize you're thinking the way they're thinking and you are able to take on that ownership being one of those revenue generators for the firm. And so people are gonna value your time because you value it first. And that's, I think, the best type of conviction a salesperson can have. Now, with that said, building a culture is very important, but it cannot be rushed and it takes time. Winning solves everything. Making money solves everything. So let's assume that that's what we can all agree with. But what happens when money's not coming in? What happens when there's issues with your product or your service? What happens when there's a disconnect and you're not able to find the value proposition to connect to the right people who would actually want to pay for it? In situations like that, I look at well-structured sports teams, communication. Really good teams communicate constantly. In fact, sometimes they'll over communicate because they leave nothing to chance. What is your relationship with your product managers and your CPO? What is your relationship with your head of finance? What is your relationship with your general counsel? How are you making sure that contracts are going out? Deals are being structured. Product issues are being addressed. If you are communicating with the ancillary businesses that connect to sales, you're right there might not be addressing an issue that's hurting your ability to sell. Secondly, Amongst your team, are you aligned on what the goal is? Are you all working towards your individual targets, which lead to the team target, which leads to the company target? If your goals don't align to the larger goals, that could be a disconnect. So ask yourself, are we helping the company or are we just helping ourselves? I acknowledge, I just said salespeople need to be selfish, but they also need to be selfish in the sense that they care about the company's interests as well, not just their own. And then finally, I think this is the best part about sales is that you spend time on the road. You spend time with clients. You spend time away from your families. And that time that you spend with your fellow colleagues or with your customers is a chance to be human. It's a chance to connect on a human level. What makes sales so great is it's not a robot selling to a robot. 
It is a human being selling to another human being. It's saying, I want to hear your issues. I want to understand what your problems are. And I think I have a solution that can help you. Not because I'm trying to make a dollar. Yes, that's a byproduct, but because I can actually make your life easier. And in doing so, you're going to trust my firm. And more importantly, you're going to trust me. And I think we have to always remember when it comes to sales, you're selling a lot of things, but most importantly, at the very heart of it, you're selling yourself. Do I want to do business with you? Do I want to engage with you? And if you can have someone say, absolutely, 100%, you're already halfway there. Maybe the numbers don't work out. Maybe the product's not quite ready, but you've got the relationship. And if you have the relationship, you'll eventually get the sale. And for sales managers who are listening, make sure you're putting your people in the position to succeed. It's not always going to work. Not every year is going to end with a Super Bowl championship or whatever analogy you want to use. But at the end of the day, do people feel like they have a fighting chance year over year? And when things don't work out, were you there for them? Were you able to address the issue, acknowledge it and say, how can we rectify it? Not in September or December, but in May, in June, before the summer really kicks in, because that means you're showing engagement in terms of their personal journey of trying to hit target and also how it relates to your team target and how it relates to the overall company target. But a manager's job is to make sure they're engaged and they sit on the same side as their salespeople. Far too many times I've seen or been part of sales calls where the head of sales will sit on the other side with management and the poor salespeople are on their own trying to defend their pipelines and asking themselves, wait, why is my head of sales not trying to defend me? They're just as much pointing fingers as the head of product and the head of the division. So you've got to be there for them. You are their line of defense in terms of representing them and representing what's working and more importantly, what's not working. Yeah, uh, that's excellent. Excellent. Yeah, love that. Love those three points. And you touched on what it were the direction I was going to next was communication, what that looks like. So under your leadership, how do you handle communication on a weekly basis with sales, but more importantly, cross collaboration between departments, whether it's customer success or customer management, marketing, executive leadership, what does that look like day to day? Yeah, I, I always like to tell people, once you become a sales manager, if you follow the baseball reference, you're no longer Derek Jeter. You are Joe Girardi. You are now managing a bunch of Derek Jeters or Lionel Messi's or Wayne Gretzky's, whatever analogy you want to use of uh, great athletes. And my point in saying that is you've got to be working behind the scenes. You've got to be ensuring that you have those pipeline calls on a regular basis. You have to have those one-on-ones on a regular basis with your individual salespeople. You've got to have that engagement to bring product and sales together at least once a month to get updates and be in, on the same page. You've got to be able to make sure you're socializing at the management level what's going on. And you've also got to represent to the entire company when during a town hall, how are things going and what they can feel proud about. You are the ultimate cheerleader but you're the ultimate politician. And the nicest way I can say that because you're shaking hands, you're engaging with everyone within the company and you're ensuring that they understand, hey, here's what we're trying to do. And if we need something to get done, can you help us move this forward? Can you get this across the finish line? And so you're shaking hands, kissing babies and eventually doing what's necessary. So your salespeople can do their job and focus on the singular mind of getting the ultimate team and company target achieved in that calendar year. It's not a job that's a lot of glory. It's actually a lot of dirty work. But at the end of the day, that's what being a sales manager is about. It's about setting yourself a little bit back behind the scenes and letting your salespeople take a step up front and get the limelight. 
Absolutely. Appreciate the insight there as well. And on a somewhat different note, would be curious to how you handle your own work-life balance and what that looks like for your team as well. Uh, how do you strike that balance there? Sure. For myself, and again, I'm just to give some insight, I'm married with three children, ages nine, seven, and five. So I'm in a unique stage where it's a lot of, uh, it's very loud in my house right now. You need a partner. If you're in that stage of life, you need a partner who's going to want to ride with you, ride beside you. My wife is my best friend and she's my teammate, which means that we spend a lot of time respecting each other's careers. Uh, full disclosure, she's a psychiatrist, so she probably spends a lot of time listening to me and then analyzing anything I say. But in all seriousness, <laughs> um, because we appreciate each other's careers, there's actually a conviction with which how we manage our lives. There's structure to an extent and there's mindfulness. And I think that's really important. When I'm at work, I am here to work. I'm here to get us closer to target, achieve that target and grow this company. That is what I think about. That is what I focus on. And that is how I apply to my team. But when we're at home, when we're with family, it doesn't matter what else is going on. Being in that moment with them and letting them know that I am there as dad, I am there as husband, that's just as important. Because having that ability to switch on and off allows for some structure and boundaries, but also allows for me to be able to have the family for the reasons I've had my family, but also allows me to have my job for the reasons I've had my job. I'll make a comment that might be a hot take for this for this interview, but maybe it won't. I wasn't the biggest fan of working from home, but let me explain why. I loved having more time with my kids. I loved being there to see them grow up for the years of 2020 to 2023. But at the end of the day, the lines were so incredibly blurred, working from home, working from my home office. There was almost a violation, and maybe I use that word a little too harshly, but my home is my haven. That is where my family and my wife, and we are raising a family together. I wasn't necessarily too keen on spending so many hours of my professional life there. We here at SigTech, we work four days a week in the office, and as a pre-Series A company, I need to spend time with my team physically. I need to be there to provide mentorship, provide guidance, but also hear their feedback and also have that water cooler talk, have the conversation before a meeting, have the debrief afterwards. And having that separation of church and state was so incredibly important to me. And to be able to get back to that, it also teaches my children the value of knowing that the world's not going to come to you. You have to go out there and get it. You have to get up every day put on a suit and tie or whatever you wear to work and go out there and realize people are out there. They're not here in your home office on a Zoom call. And so having the ability to have that separation has really helped with the work-life balance because now I know that when I'm at work, I'm in work mode and I'm here to get things done and my team has my attention and I'm completely dedicated and devoted to them. And when I'm at home, it's the exact same way with my wife and kids. Didn't mean to get off on a little bit of a tangent. Didn't mean to get too passionate about this, but it's something I feel very strongly about. No, I definitely appreciate the passion and insight there. And I think, yeah, you touch on a obviously a very timely, timely problem or at least situation that our listenership is for sure dealing with. Like you said, it's about having that delineation between work the rest of your life and making sure that there's absolute focus, right? That success, you need that singularity of focus and, it, and it's one task at a time approach. And I, no, I like that. I really appreciate Can I add one more thing yeah. for junior folks in sales, for people that are just starting out their career, or maybe they don't have as many life responsibilities yet. 
have that conversation of what works for you. The reason I say have that conversation with yourself first, but then have it with your sales manager, have it with your, with your company. Companies themselves are like living, breathing entities. We're pre-series A, which means we need all hands on deck. We're trying to take our technology and obviously apply it to an audience. And our motto is democratize financial investing. When you have goals that are that big, but you're just in the early stages, we need people here on site. And as, this, as the head of the commercial org, I've asked that of my people. And I, I will make that very transparent when I interview as well. If I was at another company that's much more established, maybe it's different. And the reason I say I have that conversation, because as much as a company wants to know that are you right for them, you have to know, are they right for you? There's nothing worse than being at a firm and not being happy with the work-life balance or the flexibility that they provide, because maybe it's not enough or maybe it's too much, because you just don't know where you sit in that. But at least if you have that conversation, see what you can do with the company, if it doesn't align ultimately with what you want, you're empowered to then make a decision. Companies are doing their best to survive. That is what their goal is, to make money, to grow, and eventually be able to be profitable enough where they don't need to borrow money and they can have an event, whether it be a merger, an acquisition, or even turn public. You have to have enough understanding of how companies work to appreciate why they ask people to do what they do. And if they ask people to come into the office three to five days a week, there's a reason why. If they ask you to have work-life balance to the best that you feel you want to use it, there's a reason why. And if they say, look, we have a completely work from home policy, there's a reason why. Understand the why, and that will go a long way to helping you make the right decision to work at a company where you can stick around to three to five and maybe even 10 years. At the end of the day, that's not a bad thing. I know that career hopping is still something that we see from time to time, but there's something really, I think, cool about staying at a place for 10 years and having something as of a legacy to look back on. Yeah, definitely. Lo love the insight there. And it would be curious as well. And you've already given uh, a lot of useful advice, but specifically up and coming sales leaders, aspiring sales leaders, what advice would you have for them? And, and what do you see or foresee as some of the bigger challenges facing the industry? We can, it can be your own, but in, in the coming years. So I grew up in Canada. So Wayne Gretzky was my sports idol growing up. And I, I think the world of him, I still do. And uh, hopefully for your audience, they know who Wayne Gretzky is. Uh, he is my opinion, the greatest hockey player of all time. Wayne Gretzky had two great quotes amongst many that I think apply to the world of sales. The first is, you miss 100% of the shots you never take. And what that means is, as a salesperson, get your reps in. Continuously find ways to get on calls. Pick up the phone. I know sometimes it might feel like a dead weight and making a cold call might seem incredibly intimidating, but if they say no, you just end up in the exact same position you were when you started the call, but you get a little bit more experience. You understand how to engage with someone. You understand personalities and you understand time of call, you understand people's mannerisms and you get better and better. And look, there is a rejection component to sales. You get better with that too, because ultimately you're making your way to getting your first sale. And so keep getting your reps in, keep taking the shots. But if you don't take those shots, you're going to miss every time. And that's what Wayne Gretzky was trying to say. The second one that he says is go to where the puck is going, not where it is. And that's, a, I think, a very good point. Think about what's happening in the market and think about what your customers are going to be aware of down the road, not just what they're trying to deal with right now. For the last three to four years, it's been digital transformation. It's now going to become AI transformation. For those that aren't aware in the fintech space, 
most budgets are being allocated towards AI and only AI now going forward. So you may have been selling a web-based SaaS platform, but now all of a sudden everyone wants to look at generative AI and large language models and chat GPT. Well, do you have a solution for them there? Do you have a conversation to at least continue an engagement with them? So go where things are going. That's why it's so important to stay up to date on the market, to keep well-read, but at the same time, as you're playing for the present, also look to the future as well. And so those two, I think, are really important quotes that I, I really do tell junior salespeople. And I think the biggest challenge is just overcoming the fear of the unknown. The world's getting faster. And I know every generation says that, but it really is. We're in a moment right now with generative AI, and there's a lot of excitement, but there's also a lot of the unknown, and people don't necessarily know what that means for them. Getting out of the fear of unknown means getting more in formed and doing so you're going to have a better sense and just to stay on the topic of generative ai because there is a lot of fear mongering that's going on right now it's a tool like everything else and the question you have to ask yourself is this a tool that i'm going to leverage to help me do what i needed to do or is this going to be a tool that's going to leverage me to do what it wants to do and i think there's a very big excitement right now because we have this type of technology that's going to really fundamentally change a lot of jobs, but it's also going to create a lot of new ones as well. And so get on board with whatever that trend is, understand it, and then own it. And then you'll find yourself a lot more informed and a lot more empowered. Absolutely. And yeah, that's some incredible insight. I actually knew exactly where you were going when you mentioned Wayne Gretzky's uh, a big fan and a big advocate for those two, two key pieces of advice for sure. Krishna, I want to thank you so much for coming on. Just so much useful insights and, and experience, and, and we appreciate you sharing that with us today. That's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.